You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. If you're turning with me, we're going to start in Numbers. We'll start in Numbers 13. And today I want to talk to you about living a big life. You know, you can live a little small life or you can live a big life. And it really all takes place in your mind. Um, I'll ask you a question. How long will you live small? I feel like a lot of us in different areas of our life, we've been living small. And it's your choice. So how long will you live small? Well, one day I'm going to break free. No, one day I'm going to be successful. Well, one day I'm going to give it all. One day I'm going to see what happens if I go all in. Well, when's that day going to come? One day? How long? One day I'm going to get out of this ditch. One day I'll, I'll live my best life. The time is now. Life is short. It seems like it gets faster and faster to me. Um, me and Nathan were in Carrollton last week, and there was this old guy talking to us. And for some reason, the older guys like to get talking to me about all kind of stuff for some reason. So this guy starts talking to us, and he said, You know, I've been married for 50 years. So wow, congratulations. That's pretty good. That's impressive. He said, and we've only ever had one fight. Whoa, that is impressive. He said, it started the day we got married, and it's been going on for 50 years. I said, whoa. <laughs> How long? I fix it. Like get and I, I say that to be funny, and he was he was joking, but how many areas of our life do we is it like that where we just we learn to settle? Well, this is what it is, this is as good as it's gonna get, so I better get okay with it. Why? That's not what God called us to. I've got twenty years experience. No, you have one year experience and you've done it twenty years in a row. Because after that year, you stopped growing. You stopped pushing. You stopped expanding. I don't want to look back at my life and that to be the case. Spiritually. Mentally. Physically. You stopped growing. Or you got stuck. Two weeks ago, we talked about not staying in the ditch. Not getting stuck. Thanks, Danielle for that great example illustration. <laughs> then last week we we talked about that we should stop estimating like a child. And Paul said when I was a child I thought like a child or I estimated as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So we saw last week that we need to stop estimating like a child. And that riches and religion and respect, it won't make you happy. 
Babies are selfish. It's just all about them and what they need. They're not helping anybody else out. They're not looking to contribute to the family. They're, they're just selfish. But once they grow up, an adult that feels connected or that is part of the family will invest. They'll give. They want to contribute. Um, 1 Corinthians 4.15 says... Uh, you have 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. Right? You know what the difference in an instructor and a father is? There's all kind of people in the world that will tell you what to do. They'll instruct you. They'll give you instructions. I mean, there's bosses and spouses and people on Facebook. Everybody will instruct you. The difference in an instructor and a father is a father is willing to invest for nothing in return. I pour into my children time, money, the, the gifts that I have, the talents that I have. I give them my vehicles, my stuff, my whatever, because they're my kids. And I don't ask them to pay me back. Well, Malachi, I've been feeding you for the last 16 years, and your grocery bill is calculated up to where you up. That's ridiculous. Fathers will invest without looking for something in return. As we grow up, we should be investing and contributing, not just still looking for me. Well, I hope somebody helps me out. I hope somebody gives me some, what I need. Cool thing is, I learned things from being a father that are hard to understand before I had kids. And the older my kids get, the more I understand that as a father, you invest, but then those kids become the greatest reward. So you want to invest. It's not even that I have to because this is a work or a law or a rule that I have to do because now I'm mature, so I have to invest, and I'm a father. So, I... No, it becomes what you want to put your money and time into and everything else. We've got to keep growing. That's what Paul was talking about. Don't look at it with the mentality of a child. So how do we get out of the ditch? We've talked about it kind of on the same lines for the last couple of weeks. But how do we really get out of the ditch or how do we break free? Because there are things in life that will keep us tied down, that will keep us stuck. Where we can't move forward, we can't grow and, and we'll just get caught there and we won't break free. I don't know about y'all, but I want to break free. I want to... I want to live the free life that God's called me to live. I want, I want freedom. It all starts in your mind. Remember that scripture that says, taking captive every thought. Take captive every thought. And see if it's the truth. Hey, is this what God says about me? Is this going against who I am? Is this hurting people? Is this bringing death or is this bringing life? Every thought. Look at numbers. Remember, you know the story. We talked about Joseph last week or the week before. 
then God's people ended up in Egypt. But after a while, when Joseph died, and God's people became slaves in Egypt. And you guys know the story that he, he sent Moses back to get the people set free from Pharaoh, and they got set free, and God had promised them a long time before that he had a promised land for him. He had this land flowing with milk and honey and it would be the blessing and it would be the promise and that they were his people and this would be their blessing. So they leave slavery. Moses takes them out of slavery and they go across the wilderness and God's with them. God sends a pillar of fire to be with them at night to keep them warm and light. And by day, he sends a cloud so that they won't roast. And he sends them manna to eat. And then there comes a time when they have no water. And he tells them to hit a rock. And water comes out of the rock. And he gives them. God's doing these awesome miracles. And he's with them. And he's taking care of them. But it's not forever. That's not where they're supposed to live. That's not where they're supposed to stay. God was with them. And it was awesome. And they were on the right track. But they had to keep on walking. They walked around in circles for 40 years, coming up to the promised land. And when they got to the promised land, they finally get there, and all this stuff they went through, they get there, and God tells Moses to pick one man from each of the tribes. They had 12 tribes. They picked one man from each tribe, and they said, we're sending you into the promised land as spies. You're going to go in and look around and see if the land is really what God said it would be. If it's really that awesome, if it's that big, if there's, if there's big fruit, if, if we can thrive there, if we can go and raise our families and our kids there, we're sending one man from each tribe and they sent the 12 in and they walked around for 40 days. 40 days just to cover the land and look around. And they come back with the biggest fruit they've ever seen in their lives. The grape cluster was so big that they had to carry it on poles between two men's shoulders. It was huge fruit. This is where we're going to jump into the story. Um, Numbers 13, verse 30. says, and Caleb stilled the people. They all get back and they're in front of all the people. And, and at this time, it's estimated that there were about 2 million of God's people. 2 million people. That's a lot of people. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses. And he said, let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. That's what Caleb said. He was one of the 12 that got sent in to look around. But look what happens in verse 31. But the men that went up with him said, what? We be not able to go up against the people? For they are stronger than we. What are you talking about? We can't win? Verse 32, and they brought up an evil report of the land, which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. Wait, all the people that they saw. And we know from looking at history, they weren't. There were some giants in the land. But they weren't all. They're exaggerating. They're making it worse than it was. They're being negative. They're trying to prove their point by swinging away. From, they weren't all of great stature. Every man we saw was giant. They were all tall. Every Rutherford's tall. Not true. 
33. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of, which come of the giants. And we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. In our own sight. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. In their mind. Like we saw ourselves as grasshoppers. We saw ourselves as defeated. We saw ourselves as worthless. We saw ourselves as not good enough. This is too much. We can't win. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers and so we were in their sight. It was in their mind. We can't have it. It's too hard. And you know what? Because I can't do it, you can't do it either. That's what they're saying. They had two million people. And because I saw something that I can't beat, I'm going to come back and tell you, you can't beat it. Well, we know what happens. We know because we've read forward in the story that they crossed over and somebody in the Israelites' camp could kill giants. A whole bunch of them could. A bunch of them boys that have been wandering around the desert for the last 40 years were ready to fight. They killed some pretty big armies. So these 10 men, two of them had a good report, Joshua and Caleb, and 10 of them were these negative men. They were wrong. You know, we do that. Well, I can't beat it, so you can't beat it. You know what? I'm not walking in freedom, so you can't walk in freedom. We discourage. The reality is they could. God gave it to them. And ten people convinced two million. If you read on, we won't read all the verses, but read on in chapter 14, those next few verses, the people start freaking out. Oh, God, it'd be better if we were back in Egypt. It was better if we were slaves now. You brought us out here to the desert. and that, I mean, two million people start freaking out because ten guys said we can't do it. We can't win. We're going to get slaughtered. It'd be better if we were back home in Egypt. Fast forward over here to chapter 14, verse 6. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of, we'll go with Jep, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. Now, I know back then they'd tear their clothes when they were in mourning, or they'd tear their clothes to like with sackcloth and ashes and stuff, but... Man, I like to think of this. When I read this this week as I was studying, I like to think of this like the people were all freaking out and Joshua and Caleb are like, man, we got to do something. Now there's, there's approximately 2 million and 10 people that are freaking out and think it's over. Oh, plus Moses and Aaron. So we'll say 2 million and 12. And us two have to get the point across. So when it said they ripped their clothes, man, I thought about like Superman. Hey, listen, read it. Tell me if it doesn't sound like that's what happened. Search the land and they ripped their clothes and they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel saying the land which we passed through to search it. It is an exceeding good land. 
they're wrong. This is getting pretty intense. These ten told him how bad it was. First of all, Caleb said, it's a great land, we can take it. And then these ten jump over top of him, tell him how bad it is. They all start freaking out and murmuring and hollering. Joshua and Caleb step up to the stage, rip their shirts and say, we can't take it. They're wrong. At that moment, two million people and Moses had a decision in their mind of what report they would believe. And, and it would affect forever. Verse 8 says, If the Lord delight, they're still talking. If the Lord delight in us, then He will bring us into this land. God said it, He'll do it. And He'll give it us. A land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Remember what God we serve. If God be for us, who can stand against us? Guys, do y'all forget who sent us here? Y'all forget who said that was our land? The ten had the whole crowd convinced that the promise was too big. It's too much. You can't handle that. You can't take that. It's too hard. It's just, it's too big. Just settle. It's not so bad out here in the desert. God's taking care of us and giving us what we need to get by. And yeah, this man is getting kind of old, but hey, it's all right. Some of them thought it'd be better to go back and be slaves. At least we got good food. We worked our butts off all day, but at least we got good food. It's too big. Just settle. Even slavery would be better. Look at 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13. I'm going to read it to you in the Message Bible. Actually, I'm going to read it to you on the screen because that's one of the few chapters that's missing out of my Message Bible. Dear, dear Corinthians, but just insert your name right there. Dear, dear Patrick. Dear, dear Rachel. Dear, dear, you can fill in your name. I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Paul's saying, open up. Stop living small. We didn't fence you in. That smallness that you feel, that, that I'm not worth it, I can't do it, I can't be what God's called me to be, I can't, whatever. We all have things in our life. 
Paul said, we didn't fence you in. That smallness you feel, it comes from within you. That's in your mind. Open up. Live openly and expansively. Expand. Take new ground. Expansively, that's to expand or to take more ground, to keep moving forward. Don't just settle for where you are in your little bitty fence. Kick open the gate. Take more ground. Don't settle in the desert. You're not there yet. You're not walking in the promise. God's got a big life for you. Every person sitting in this room, there's a big life, but will you choose to live it? Are you going to live small? God's not trying to fence you in. God didn't put you in that family. God didn't put you in that town. God did not put you in that school or on that job to keep you down, to make you small, to make you not powerful or not effective. That's not what God does. That's not who He is. This is what a small life sounds like. Everybody in my family has problems with addiction, so I will too. Oh, you can't have a successful church or a business in Waco. You can forget that. Oh, you, oh, you can't go to the NFL from that high school. This is what a small life sounds like. A small mind. You ever heard of elephant syndrome? Not, not the thing that people are born with, the deformities, but there's an elephant syndrome. We've talked about it before, but it's been a long time ago. Um, but what it is, is when a little baby elephant is born, trainers from the circus or the zoo, whoever is going to train the elephant, they get them when they're very young and they chain their leg up to a 150 pound weight. Well, the, the baby elephant is not strong enough to drag that 150-pound weight around, and he can't break the chain. And he'll fight against it and pull against it and jerk on it, and they leave him tied to it, and they feed him and water him. But he's chained to that 150-pound weight, and he may drag it just a little bit, but he can barely move it, and he can't break the chain. So they grow him up like that. Well, when he gets big, and once he stops fighting that chain, and they know he's trained... The elephant can be tied with just a thin little rope and they'll take a stake, just a wooden stake like we would mark off something on the ground or, and they'll drive it in the ground about 16 inches deep with a regular little hammer and they'll hook a 4,000 pound elephant to it with giant tusks and tie a little rope to his leg and he can't get away. It's about a 10-foot rope where he can walk over and get him some food and get him some water. And they don't need a fence. They don't need a chain. They don't need steel bars. He's held by a rope and a little piece of wood. And at any minute, he could break free. At any minute, all it would take is one step with that rope tight. And he could bust right out of that thing. But in his mind, he's a slave. 
in his mind, he's whooped by that thing. What is it you got in your mind that tells you you're beat, you're whooped, you can't beat it, you can't get past it, you can't walk free of it? It's a lie. You're way bigger than that. You're being held down by a toothpick and some yarn. It's nothing. But your mind stops you. They had been slaves in Egypt for so long, they didn't even believe that they could win. They didn't even believe that they were strong enough or powerful enough because we've been slaves for hundreds of years. And so they were scared like a giant elephant tied with a little rope. He has no idea how big and how powerful he is. That's a lot of you. And that's me in some areas. If we only knew how powerful we were created. I wrote down six characteristics of a small living person. We're going to look at those and we're going to wrap it up. And I think as we look at them and we read the the characteristics of what it looks like to live a small life, for some of us, some of these are going to hit real close to home. And we're going to realize, hey, I might be living small in that area. First one, if you're living small, you might have a small head. Little bitty old head. Little small head. Think about a baby. You know, when a baby's born, they have a little small head. I mean, it's pretty big compared to their body, but not compared to an adult. Now, like if you took Malachi's head and put it on Azalea, she couldn't walk anymore. Right? (laughs) Although that would be funny, that would not be good. She wouldn't get anywhere. He's grown up and his head's gotten bigger. A little small head, small living head, we'll call it, because you're living small. What do you mean? Their thinking is small. They can't see past their rope and their stake. They got, they got small thinking. They can't see past their past. They're stuck on what happened when they were a little kid. They're stuck on what happened five years ago. They're stuck on, they're, they can't see how big they are. They got a little small head and their thinking is too small. All they think about is their past and it dictates what they do now. You know those ten spies? They had small heads. You get what I'm saying. I don't know that they physically had little small heads, but they had a slave mentality. They didn't believe that they were big. They didn't believe that their God was big. A small head says, I can't, but my past, I'm not educated. I'm disqualified. I'm not good enough. I I can't do that, that. I can't be free. I'm a slave. I can't 
You fill in the blanks for you. You're an elephant tied to a string. Second one, small hands. Little bitty baby hands. Little small hands. What do you mean by that? They can't handle much. You can't hold much. You can't handle much. Oh, I don't want this responsibility. I'm on, I'll give ideas, but I don't want to help with it. I don't want to, can't, they can't handle anything. You ask them, hey, could you help out with this? Hey, could you do this? Hey, so-and-so needs some help. Oh, I, oh, I can't do that. I can't help with that. I can't. They got little bitty hands. They can't hold much. Can't hold much responsibility. Can't hold much weight. God tells them to do it, and oh, that's too much. God, I can't do that. You're praying for more, but you can't handle it. God, I want more. God, give me a bigger house. He said, you, well, why don't you clean the one you have? I, I want more. Can you handle the more? Sometimes we'll pull up at the house, and, and the sky will say, Hey, Dad, can you carry this? I can't carry it. Well, why, can't, why don't you carry it, dude? Can you carry my pencil? You carry your pencil. My hands are full. Oh, will you carry my hat? I put it on your head, dude. That's what hats are for. We all got to carry my book bag, and I got to carry a... What? My hands are full. Why? Because he's got little hands. He's a kid. You got little hands. You need help carrying a pencil. You should be able to carry a pencil by now. God, I want a better job. Oh, well, then you need a better education, or maybe you need to put in some extra hours. Oh, I can't carry that. That's too much. My hands are full. I'm busy. What? No, you're not. You're not busy. Jackie Buckhannon told me that last week. <laughs> what are you doing? Okay. You got little hands. Can't carry too much. That's a small life. Small living hands. The third one, small living people have small mouths. Little small mouth. Well, the land is nice, but it's full of giants. Small mouths are negative. Small mouths are critical. They complain all the time. They see problems, and they speak out of fear. They speak out of fear, not faith. Man, that's a nice new car you got. Yeah, you should see the pavement. You know what they charge me on the Avalorian taxes? <laughs> Thanks, sucking down gas. You know the kind of person that's always coming up with something negative about everything, even something good. Small mouth. They speak out of fear, complain, they're critical. Find a way to judge everything. You're a huge elephant. Yeah, but I'm tied up. I can't get away. I've been this way since I was a little kid. 
You don't know where I came from. You don't know what I've been through. Small mouth. People that are living big, they speak faith. And they use their mouth to replace lies with truth. That's somebody that's living big. That's why worship is so important. When we come in here and all together corporately, we're singing these songs and and they're written down and they're rehearsed. And some of them aren't written down and they're not rehearsed. But they're all, we're speaking truth. We're reminding ourselves who our God is and who we are and, and that we worship Him and we're out loud saying these things together. And as we join together with this unity, there's a power that comes in corporate worship that doesn't happen just alone in your car. There's a power that comes because in that moment, whether we don't do it all week long, in that moment together, we're choosing to have big mouths and speak with faith and speak the truth. There are no lies being said during the worship service. You know the power in just a room full of people this size getting together and speaking nothing but truth? There's power in that. It's a sad thing, but this many humans don't get together and all speak truth. Except for in a worship service when we're all speaking truth together in unity. There's power that comes with that. That's living big. That's speaking what God says. Hey, you know what? I can't even figure out how we're going to do that, but God said it, so I'm pumped. Let's do it. I'm not afraid. Fourth one. People that are living small, they got some small arms. Small living arms. Well, what do you mean by that? They got no reach. You can't reach. You can't get anything for yourself. They're always looking for handout. They come into church services looking for, man, I hope the preacher's got something good for me. I hope I like the songs that they're singing. Man, I hope they got a food ministry because I need. They're, they're looking for, and there's nothing wrong with being in need, and there's nothing wrong with receiving, and we should all get poured into and blessed. But if every time you show up to a family event, to a church service, to a, anywhere you go, you're looking for what can I get out of this? Who can bless me? Who can help me? Because I'm not going to make it if somebody doesn't help me. Always, we'll all be there at certain points. That's okay. But if it's always that, you got some small arms, you got some short arms, you got no reach. Remember, like, did your wife or somebody ever say, hey, can you reach that? Something up on the top shelf. Hey, can you reach that? You think you can get that for me? You got short arms. You can't get it for yourself. Here, open this pickle jar. People with small arms don't do anything for themselves. And they don't do anything for other people. They want everybody to help them, and they're not helping anybody else. Buck stops with you. If you receive a blessing, do you turn around and bless other people, or does it just... Stops with you. Are you blessed to be a blessing? Are you just blessed? 
people with small arms. They don't help other people. Give me a cookie. I want a cookie. I can't reach the cookie jar. Give me a cookie. Somebody give me a cookie. My arms are too short to reach up there. Give me a cookie. Give me a word. Give me a program. Give me some help. When you start living big with long arms, you go to the store and get cookies and put them in a jar and eat as many of them as you want, and you stand there and hand out cookies to all the little kids and everybody around. And you're not worried if your jar runs dry, you'll go get you some more cookies. I freaked out hoarding the cookies. You get what I'm saying? Because you can reach more. I'm not worried to give a little kid a cookie because I can reach over here and get another one. And if I run out, I can go get me a whole pack of them from Walmart. But if I got little bitty short arms and I can't reach, man, I, I really want that cookie. I'll get a hold of that cookie. I'm going to go get my cookie. I'm going to go sit and hide with my cookie. And I'm going to make sure nobody touches my cookie. Make sure that other little kid, and you don't get a piece of my cookie, and you don't get a piece of my cookie. We get stingy. We get crazy. We get addicted. We get, I'm talking about it like it's a kid problem, but this is an adult problem and a kid problem. We got short arms. Number five, almost done. If you're living small, you got small eyes, little bitty squinty eyes. I call it short-sighted. Small eyes. What do you mean by that one? Can't see. Can't see God in your life. Can't see God moving. You can't look back at your pain in the past and see how God used it. You can't, you can't see His hand. And if you can't see God's hand in your life, then it's hard for you to see God in other people's life. And you don't, it's hard for you to pick Him out. You know that song that says, uh, make us more... Let us become more aware of your presence. Being aware of God's presence, that, that's a prayer that we pray. Like, if you have small eyes, you can't see God. You can't see what He's trying to do. You can't see Him moving. You can't see what He's done. You can't see the purpose that He's brought out of your pain. People with small eyes only see what's right in front of them. They can't see the big picture. They only see right here, right now, what I want in this moment, what's going to feel good to me right now. And I don't care about the future, and I don't care about the big picture, and I don't care who it's going to hurt. And I, well, I like this person right now, so I don't care about all the rest of y'all and all the rest of the relationships because all they can see is right here and right now. They don't see the big picture. They don't see God because they got little bitty squinty eyes. And all they can see is right here and right now. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 and 12. We looked at them last week. Um, it's when Paul was talking. I think I referenced it already. But 11 says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. I understood or estimated like a child. Verse 12 says, for now we see, we're talking about having small eyes. Now we see through a glass darkly. Well, why is it darkly? If you're looking through a glass and it's got mud water in it, you can't see through it very well, right? 
Now we see through a glass darkly. Why? Because you got baby eyes, little small eyes with a little small life. But then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known. How are you known? Completely. He knows you better than you know you. The childish mentality says, I need a fix. I need, I want what I want. I need what I need. Right here, right now. Number six. Last one. You got small living legs. Little short, little small legs. Oh, look at his fat, stubby little legs. He's so cute. Well, not when he's 40. I mean, <laughs> small little bitty old legs. Have you ever walked around with a little kid? Like a real young little kid? Maybe you took off through a store or at Six Flags or something. And you realize if you're not holding their hand, man, you might walk for, you could just walk for 30 seconds at a normal pace and turn around that kid so far behind. Because your stride, man, they might have to take five or six steps to, for one of your strides. And then they're wore out and the little kid's back there sweating. <sighs> you don't even realize you're leaving them. Why? Because they got little bitty old short legs. It takes them five times the effort to get the same place you can get. Because you're grown up and you're mature. But if we're living that small life, we got little bitty short legs, we, we can't get anywhere. You walk normal and the little kid gets way behind. They get tired. Small people have small legs. And they don't get very far. They stay where they are. They don't take new ground because it takes too long and it's too hard and they're too tired and it'd take, a, it'd take me 50 million steps to get over there. I'm, it, it. Small people with small legs stay where they are. They don't get far. And they say things like this. For you, it's easy because you got long legs. So don't judge me for staying over here. Last night, me and Zach were talking about people that go to the gym and they stay the same. Zach said he's been gone for a year on this missions trip and he went back to the same old gym where he used to go and work out and there are still fat people in there that look exactly the same as they did after a year of faithfully going to the gym and there's still people in there that are trying to build their biceps and Zach said, dude, I've been gone for a year and I couldn't tell a difference in some of them. Not a difference at all. And, you know, we were just kind of laughing and joking around about that, but you just stay the same. Oh, boy, I wish I had some big arms. We'll do some curls. I wish I had long legs. We'll grow up. Take some steps. Don't just stay where you're at and settle for what you have. Wish I could cover ground like you. Isaiah 40. 
um, 27 in the Message Bible. It says, God doesn't come and go. God lasts. He's creator of all you can see or imagine. He doesn't get tired out. You know, when you got them little short legs, God doesn't get tired out. He doesn't pause to catch his breath. And he knows everything inside and out. He energizes those who get tired. He gives fresh strength to the dropouts. For even young people tire and drop out. Young folk in their prime stumble and fall. But those who wait upon God get fresh strength. They spread their wings and they soar like eagles. They run and don't get tired. They walk and they don't lag behind. Wait, we looked at that that word before. That word wait, it means to hope, to be gathered, to gather together, gathered, or to wait patiently. They gather, they wait, they look, they hope. What we're doing here today, we gather, we hope. We're speaking with big mouths. We're reaching with our arms. But for you, it's easy. You take one step and I got to take like five. For you, it's easy because of your family. Or for you, it's easy because of your skin tone. Well, you weren't exposed to the things that I was exposed to. Well... Well, you speak that language, so it's easy for you. Or you're gifted in that area, so it's easier for you than me. It's harder for me to go do that, what God's called me to do. That's what people with small legs do. Is tell why it's easier for somebody else to do what God's told them to do. It wasn't easy for me to start preaching. I wasn't even good at it. <laughs> wasn't even a gift. <laughs> All I could do was tell stories. Small legs. A person that's living big knows that a journey of a thousand miles starts with a step. Joshua and Caleb... They took the same amount of steps as the other ten. Exact same amount. Two of them believed God and saw the positive. Ten of them took the same steps in the same place, saw the same thing. They were just as tired as they were. They discouraged two million people. That's kind of impressive. But not good. Small legs are scared to take new ground. They're scared to break free. They won't walk into the land that God has for them. They'll settle for where they are. They'll settle for slavery. Just like that old elephant. Tied to a rope. Wait for it. Wait for it. Big people know that freedom starts with a step. The key to breaking free get stepping. I'm going to give you four real quick and we're done. 
get stepping. You got to take a step. You can't, if you find yourself in any of these areas, you can't just stay there. You can't just sit there. Well, I got small hands. No, here, let me figure out how to carry that pencil. Give me that thing. You take a step. God already won. God already bought and paid for your freedom. You just got to walk in it. Just take that step. Believe what he said. Be a doer. You know that's maturity. We all hear the word. We all come in here and we hear God speak to our life and we know what we need to do. And we watch motivational videos and we say, yeah, that's what. And then the real sign of whether you're mature or not is whether you do what you heard. A doer. Take that step. So how do we get free? How do we get unstuck? Number one, get stepping. Take a step. God, I need you. I can't do it without you. Hey, I'm going to take this step. And I've been a slave in this area for a long time, but I believe what you said when you said I'm bigger than that rope. So I'm going to take a step, and I'm going to see if it breaks. That's faith. That's trust. Hey, God, I, I hear what you're calling me to do. I know you want me to be free. I hear you calling me to walk in the land, so I'm going to take a step. That's a step of faith. That's saying, God, I trust that what you said is true, and I trust it so much that I'm willing to step out on it. But God, I feel like a grasshopper. I feel like a grasshopper, and I'm going to go fight a giant. And God says, you're a giant. If you could see what I see, you're an elephant held down by a string. Get stepping. Second one, get involved. Stop isolating yourself. You'll never be free. That's how you get big hands and big arms is by getting involved. Do something. Get involved with the ladies' book study and get involved with kids' space and show up to tournaments and be involved and do things in your life. Get involved. Get big hands. Get big arms. Get some reach. Stop making it just about you and right here and what you can see. Get stepping. Get involved. Third one, get together. That's what we try to encourage on Wednesday nights, and that's what we try to encourage with our men's gatherings and our warrior training up here three days a week and us playing softball and playing flag football and doing all these different things that we do. It's to get involved, get together, make relationships, form connections, get, get together. It's important. For some of you, the reason you're not free is because your friends, the closest people to you, it's them ten guys. You can't do it. You're weak. You're a grasshopper. I'm a grasshopper. You're a grasshopper. We're all grasshoppers. That's your friends. Losers. Malka, I'm not talking about Tristan. But really, some of us, our friends are just, they're the ten guys. Hey, God said I was going to do awesome things. No, you're not. You're an idiot. 
Oh, yeah, maybe you're right. Uh, yeah, I am. <laughs> what do you want to do? Let's go to Jack's. Okay. But come on. Look at who you surround yourself with. Get together with the right people. Get you at least, I mean, it's okay if you have some of your friends, maybe you're trying to witness or reach out and, and you're mature enough and strong enough to where like, I know that when you're at the cookie jar and you got long enough arms to reach the cookie jar, a whole lot of people come wanting cookies. That's okay. You can give them cookies. Feed a grasshopper a cookie. That might be a good name for this message. But don't let that be your only or your closest connections. Who's speaking into your life? You know, we talked about having a big mouth. You know, a lot of people speak to me. A lot of people talk to me. But not many people have a voice in my life. Not many. Who do you got surrounding you? So get stepping. Get involved. Get together with the right people. Last one, fourth one, and we're done. Get generous. To live an open life with open hands, to live openly and expansively, you have to give. You have to be generous with your life, with your time, your talents, your treasures, who you are and what you have. You have to give. Babies are stingy and selfish, and somebody that's mature is willing to invest. They're willing to give of themselves. That's when you grow up spiritually, when you walk in freedom, when you walk in maturity, you give. For God so loved the world that He gave. He was willing to bankrupt heaven. He was willing to give the, the only begotten Son. If He had 10 or 12 sons and He tried one out on the cross, then... It wouldn't be as big of a deal. I'd still be grateful, but he only had one. And he gave him. Love gives. I think that... The fruit of the Spirit... You know, the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, kindness, meekness, temperance, faith. In case I missed any of those there, the Bible says, against such there is no law. Right? I think the fruits of the Spirit are more important than the gifts of the Spirit. And I think I can back that up. I know I can back that up with Scripture. And through what Paul says and stuff like, and a lot of times as Christians, we want to focus on the gifts gifts oh he's gifted hey you're speaking and preaching and talking speaking in tongues or whatever all the gifts we want to focus on the gifts guess what the fruit's more important the gifts were what they were getting in the desert in the wilderness god was giving them miracles or gifts a gift is given to you and i'm grateful for my gifts i'm grateful for talents i'm grateful for giftings that god has given me but guess what fruit is earned fruit is grown for fruit i have to plow the land for fruit i have to step out for fruit i have to be big enough to break free of my chains for love and joy and peace and long suffering and hope 
and to walk through this life and be full and overflowing and happy. And that's fruit. I can't rely on a gifting for that. God designed it so that my spiritual gifting and fruit would work together. I can use my gifting and go out and use it in the world or whatever, however I want to use it without fruit, and it's not very effective. Fruit. You walk into the land, there's more to do, but there's fruit. Be a giver. Get generous. He that sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Nobody ever blesses me. You ever bless anybody else? What type of seed are you sowing? Open up your life. Live with an open hand. Be a big tipper. Shine your light. I want big hands, God. It's scary breaking that rope. As that elephant that's... you had that security for so long it's scary to snap that rope well what if the zookeeper comes running up and what if he tries to stop me well what if i try to break free and my addiction comes back what if i try you're bigger than him run him over he's a shrimp Let's pray. God, we don't want to be stuck. God, we don't want to be in bondage. We don't want to be a bunch of chained up people just barely drudging through life trying to make it, looking for some kind of love or meaning. God, we want to live this open, expansive, big life that you've called us to live. We want to be continually, constantly taking new ground. God, you said I can have that, then I want it. God, you're going to give me more, then I'm going to bless more. God, you want me to open up, then I'll open up. God, I can't afford to give that away to that person, but if you said to, I'm going to do it. Because I know that by emptying my hands, you're going to fill them with more. And my hands are going to get bigger. My capacity will grow. God, I want to big, live the biggest life I can. But I'm not good with just getting by. I'm not good with settling in the Spirit. God, I want to have big eyes. I want to see you in everything. And I want to see myself and other people the way you see me. I want to see that elephant so that no piece of yarn can hold me down. No toothpick can hold me back. Zookeeper, get out of my way. You've had your day. My freedom was bought and paid for at the cross. God, we love you. Thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for picking us up every time that we fall. In Jesus' name, amen.